Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. Good morning, High Point. So good to be with you. I hope you had a wonderful Easter Sunday. I want to thank everybody who joined us for our Easter drive-in service, whether you joined us in your car or whether online. It was nice. It was really nice to be able to gather together with you in that way to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm excited this morning to share with you God's Word as we're going to get back into our series that we've titled the standard. And in preparation, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't been with us through this series, the the standard, it is based upon Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, otherwise referred to as the Beatitudes. And it is the greatest sermon that was ever preached, and it is full of truth. It is designed to direct us in our daily Christian walk. But before we read our scripture reference this morning, I'd like to start by sharing a story with you. It was a story that I read about a woman from California named Anna Mae Penica. Anna was a 62-year-old woman who was blind from birth. When she was 47, Anna married a man who she had met in a Braille class, and for the first 15 years of their married life together, he did all of the seeing for both of them. But tragically, it was at this point that he lost his vision as well to a rare degenerative eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. It's a disease in which they have found no cure. And one of the first things that I noticed while reading their story was how that neither Anna nor her husband were bitter about this sightless situation that they found themselves in. And I think that's amazing, especially when you look at it from Anna's perspective. What I mean is, unlike her husband, she had never seen a blue sky or the vivid colors of of the springtime. And yet she never felt resentful about her handicap. She always maintained a remarkably cheerful spirit. Well, in October of 1983, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jules Stein Eye Institute at the University of California, he learned about their situation and he examined Anna and he furthermore performed a surgery to remove the rare congenital cataracts from the the lens of her left eye. And as a result, Anna was able to see for the very first time ever. Now, in this particular story that I read, it didn't record her initial response, but it did go on to say that she found everything she looked at was much bigger and brighter than she had ever imagined. Since that day, Anna can hardly wait to get up in the morning and put on her glasses and watch the morning light. Her vision is 20-30, which is good enough to pass the driver's test. I want you to think about how wonderful it must have been when Anna looked for the first time at the faces of her loved ones, faces that she never could realize but could only touch before. Or when she saw the first beautiful colors of the Pacific sunset or the waving of branches of a tree or a bird in flight. The gift of of sight is a wonderful gift indeed. 
and Anna's miracle of seeing for the very first time after a lifetime of blindness, well, I can imagine that must be a, a, a difficult thing to be able to describe or to put into words. And the reason that I shared her story with you this morning is because there is a seeing that surpasses even the miracle that Anna experienced. And that's going to be the focus of our next beatitude. It's a miracle described in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5, but let's back up a little bit and start with verse 1 and reread all the topics that we've discussed so far in this series. Matthew 5 verses 1 through 8, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And today's scripture is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you hear that? In this verse, Jesus describes a, a kind of sight that is more wonderful than anything else, and that is the ability for us to see God. And since the goal of spiritual growth is to deepen in our relationship with God, I think we'd all have to agree that to see Him must be the best sight ever. Now, this beatitude that describes this kind of vision is rather short, only 11 words. And it probably leaves us with more questions than answers. And so with that in mind, I want us to try to fully understand what it was that Jesus was saying here by seeking to answer four very critical questions. And here's the first one. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what exactly is the heart that he's referring to? Well, if you did a thorough search of the Bible, you would see the word heart appears more than a hundred times. But it's, it's important to note that the vast majority of the time that it is used, it is not referring to that organ that pumps blood and circulates blood through your body. Instead, it is referring to a person's innermost being. And in Matthew chapter 5, this is one of those times. When Jesus used this word that day while ministering to those people who were up on that hillside, he was talking about the psychological core of a person. He was talking about the real person. I am one who is thankful for this, that we're going to have to edit. I messed up. Okay. When Jesus was using this word that day while ministering to those people up on that mountainside, he was talking about the psychological core of a person. He was talking about the real person. And by the way, let me remind you that these bodies, this flesh that we walk around in on this earth, is not the real us. And I, for one, am thankful for that, that that's the case. Uh, because even though at one time this body might have looked pretty good, my flesh is changing and my flesh is aging. In a few more decades, no doubt, I'll lay this worn out body aside and they'll bury me somewhere in the ground. 
But that's okay because these aging bones and these aging muscles and, and veins and arteries are not the real me. The real me is what is inside. It's the core of my being. The, the real David Blythe is eternal. And the same holds true for each and every one of you. And this is what Jesus was referring to when he used the word heart. He was referring to the core of a person. He was referring to the real person. And the people who were sitting there and listening to Jesus on that day would have understood this because in their culture, the heart was considered the center of the personality. It was the source of all activity. They knew the heart meant the real person. Proverbs 23, verse 7 reflects man's thinking on this when it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. In his book, The Applause of Heaven, Max Licato writes this, and it's powerful. To Jesus' listeners, the heart was the totality of the inner person, the control tower, the cockpit. The heart was thought of as the seat of the character, the origin of the desires, affections, perceptions, Thoughts, reasoning, imagination, conscience, intentions, purpose, will, and faith. To the Hebrew mind, the heart was a freeway cloverleaf where all emotions and prejudices and wisdom converge. It is a switch house that receives freight cars loaded with moods, ideas, emotions, and convictions and puts them on the right track. Well, let's continue along that analogy by saying this. The Bible repeatedly tells us that most of the time, our inner switch houses puts our, put our moods and ideas and emotions and convictions on the wrong track. What I mean is since we are fallen creatures, most of the time, our heart's first response is to sin. As Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Some of you might remember back in the 90s when filmmaker Woody Allen was an icon of the movie industry. But it was also a, the point in his life where it began to unravel. His longtime relationship with Mia Farrow came to an ugly end just after they had a child together. And a short time later, it was discovered that Alan was romantically involved with Mia's 17-year-old adopted daughter named Sun Yi. The inappropriateness of that quasi-insensuous relationship scandalized even the most liberal Hollywood elites. But the 60-year-old Alan didn't find anything wrong with dating the teenage daughter of his, of his former girlfriend, even though the relationship began when she was a minor. And when a reporter challenged Alan on the matter, he rationalized and he defended his actions. Then he concluded the conversation by declaring this, the heart wants what the heart wants. And it does. But the truth is, we can't always trust our hearts now, can we? Because as the scripture says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It was Woody Allen's heart that led him into this sinful behavior. Well, Jesus' statement later on in Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 and 20 sums it up perfectly when he says this, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. Well, that leads me to question number two. What does it mean to be 
pure in heart. Why does Jesus say that a person is blessed if pure describes the heart, the control center of their life? Well, in the Greek, the word pure is katharos, and it is a word that is used 28 times in the New Testament. Katharos has two basic meanings. It could be used to describe something that was dirty, but had been made clean like a soiled cloth that had been washed and the stains had been removed for it. Or it could be used to describe something that was clean and pure in the sense that it was not mixed with something else. For example, in Jesus' day, you might hear Greek farmers at the market using that word katharos to talk about the wheat that had been picked and winnowed and cleansed of all chaff. And what you had left was pure wheat. You might hear a Greek army general using katharos to describe an army that had been purged and cleansed of all cowardly or inefficient soldiers in such a way that it became a force that was made up solely and purely of first-class fighting men. Well, Jesus was combining these meanings here in verse 8 by saying that people are blessed if first they understand that their hearts are dirty, but furthermore, they understand that they cannot clean them on their own. Because as I said, we all have this bend towards sin. This is why the Bible says our hearts are deceitful above all things. Even our best efforts at goodness leave us spiritually bankrupt before a righteous and a holy God. Jesus was no doubt referring to his prior beatitude and saying that, that genuinely blessed people, believers who grow towards Christ's likeness, they know this. They have mourned over this. And then in meekness, they hunger for the true righteousness that, that they know can only come from God in such a way that their, their single, pure, unadulterated desire is to know God, is to please God. All other desires have been purged from their system so that their priority is what Matthew 6.33 states, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Another way to put it, would be to say that people are genuinely blessed. They are to be congratulated if they sincerely love God and sincerely seek to obey Him in their life above all other things. This kind of, of mindset is manifested in pure lives. It's seen in people who's, who are sincere in their desire that their walk matches their talk, that their desires match their action, and furthermore, that their insides match their outsides, or that their Mondays match their Sundays, if you will. So let me stop and ask you, would you say that you are blessed in this sense? While you think about that, let me just say that the Pharisees of Jesus' days were experts at outward purity. They had all sorts of rules on what to eat, what to wear, how far you should travel on the Sabbath day, and a host of many more. And this rulemaking and rule-keeping is actually what these guys live for. But tragically, self-righteously, and I might also say sinfully, they spent all of their time trying to make the outside look good while blatantly ignoring what was going on on the inside. They acted like all that was important to God was how they were perceived on the outside by the masses, while on the inside that didn't matter. You see, they didn't have pure hearts. Because they were double-minded, they had mixed motives, and Jesus reserved some of his harshest words for these religious leaders. He was the hardest on these men of influence. 
who were experts in masking their dirty hearts with all of their external obedience to all of the man-made rules that they had come up with. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus saw through their pretense and he looked right into their hearts as he quoted Isaiah also in Matthew 15, 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Message Bible paraphrases Jesus' words this way. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. And here's the truth. Our culture is very similar to theirs because not much has changed in over 2,000 years. These Pharisees remind me of many people in our day and age in that they tend to focus on the outside rather than the inside. And when I say they, I include us. I include me. So often our hearts are not pure because we live lives out there in ways that don't match up with the statements that we make in here in the church. Our behavior doesn't match always our beliefs. I saw a cartoon that showed a pastor and his wife in a deep conversation. The wife says, today let's do something different. Why don't you be charming at home and grouchy at work at, or at church? And of course, we're this happened in another church, right? But you know what I mean? We're all like this. Often our day-to-day -day lives indicate that our devotion to God is not as pure as we let on like it is. It's not always single-minded. Our vows and our commitments to do God's will are weakened by our own selfish pursuits. And because of this, time and time again, our lives just don't match the faith that we profess. I know this about myself. Not always are my attitudes and actions pleasing to my Heavenly Father. But I'm not alone in this hypocrisy. So many times we crash and burn because our devotion to God isn't pure. It isn't single-minded. Is there anyone else out there courageous enough and transparent enough to admit that? You know, our study on this verse touches on the central problem of our culture because all of our world's troubles can be traced down to one source, one cause. You know what it is? It's dirty hearts. To show you what I mean, let me remind you once again of Jesus' words in Matthew 15, 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. In other words, all of the evil thinking in this world, all the murders, all of the adultery, all of the sexual sins, all of the lies, all of the slander, all of the robberies and burglaries that go on around us, all of the social injustice, all of the problems of our culture can be traced back to the heart. 
Billy Graham once referred to this when he said, we're suffering from only one disease in the world. Our basic problem is not a race problem. Our basic problem is not a poverty problem. Our basic problem is not a war problem. Our basic problem is a heart problem. And one thing I want to make sure that we all understand this morning is that the state of your heart is the most important thing in your life. Everything else is built on your heart health. So the state of your heart, the state of your innermost being is more important than the state of your business or the state of your marriage or the state of your employment or the state of your personal finances or the state of anything else for that matter. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Therefore, if the state of your heart is right, all those other personal areas of your life will fall into line according to your heart health. I'm wondering if any of you have ever seen an, an echocardiogram of a human heart. It doesn't look like much of anything to, to an untrained eye, but to a trained eye, they can look at an echocardiogram and they can see what is wrong with a person's heart. Well, suppose we were to put our hearts in the biblical sense, meaning the core of who we are, up on the screen for us all to look at this morning, would it reveal any impurities? How about murder? Now, before you dismiss this one, remember that Jesus says anyone who harbors anger against a brother or calls him a fool is guilty of sin and subject of the same, to the same penalty. Have any hurtful words come out of your mouth this week? Have you been nursing anger or bitterness towards another? How about adultery or sexual immorality? Most of, most of us aren't about to run off with somebody else's spouse, but one of the words Jesus uses here is porneia. It is a Greek word from where we get the word pornography. It refers to any sexual behavior or thought that exploits another person or perverts the beauty of the gift of sexuality. Do you have anything like that going on in the secret places of your life? What about theft? It's not very likely that any of us are going to start breaking into people's homes or shoplift from businesses in Red Bluff. But is it possible that you are stealing time from your boss or from your clients? Is it possible that you are holding on to money that rightfully belongs to the government or belongs to God for that matter? How about false testimony? Surely you would never lie under oath, but do you ever massage the truth to give a false impression? Do you lie on resumes or cheat on an exam? When someone asks how you're doing, do you, do you pretend that you're doing better than you really are? What about slander? Have you ever spoken poorly about someone else to make yourself look better? Have you ever passed judgment upon someone's spirituality because of the way that they dress or maybe the way that they worship? Or maybe the way that they don't worship in the way that you think they should. Have you ever gossiped a bit of unsavory news under the guise of a prayer request so that you're now free to gossip about it? Have you ever considered how the echocardiogram of the true you actually looks like? How healthy is your heart? The, the inner core, the real you. This beatitude uh, reveals the fact that we all have the capacity to live a double life, to be one thing on the outside 
is something completely and be something completely different on the inside. To act one way at church, to act another way at home or in the office or, or at school or somewhere else out there. We convince ourselves as long as we are going to church and we're reading our Bibles and we're putting some money into the offering plate, then our abusive words and our ugly thoughts and, and our selfish, sinful habits don't really matter. But they do. And Jesus is reminding us that our outward behavior flows from the inward condition of our heart. You know, we can fill our heads with, with Bible knowledge and we can behave like good church folk people do. We can even profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But until our hearts are pure, we can never, we can never truly grow into Christ-likeness. Listen, if we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to grow to experience the abundant life that He promises us, then we have to treat the heart. Let me put it this way. If the fruit on a tree is bad, you don't try to fix the fruit. You try to address the roots. And if a person's actions are evil, it's not enough to change their habits. You've got to go a lot deeper than that. You have to go to the heart. That's the problem, which it's the problem of the heart. Let's move on to question three. What does it mean when he says they will see God? What does it mean for us to see God? Well, Jesus, I believe, is referring to two things. First of all, he is telling us that the, the pure in heart will see God in the life to come. When that day dawns, when we set aside these earthly flesh suits and our hearts have been cleansed and they have been changed through faith in Christ Jesus, that's when we will know that we will spend eternity with him. When that happens, we will no longer see through a glass darkly, as Peter puts it, but face to face. So one thing Jesus is talking about is that wonderful day when our faith will be sight, that day that when we will see God in all of his glory. That's when we will see God in this life. I have to, we're going to have to edit. Completely lost my thought. Uh, can we end it? I don't know. Can you mark it or, uh, I'll start after, uh, as Paul puts it face to face. Is that okay? So one thing Jesus is talking about is that wonderful day when our faith will be sight, that day when we will see God in all his glory. But Jesus is also telling us that when our hearts are pure, when we are focused on seeking First, the kingdom of God, that's when we will see God in this life. Not just in rare and, and splendid uh, moments, but everyday, ordinary moments of daily life. Here's the point. When you are single-minded about something, when your life is about one thing, you will see that one thing everywhere. This is most commonly found when a person falls deeply in love or head over heels over someone else. You look forward to being with that person. You want to go and do things with the person that you love. You do everything you can to make them happy. Someone who has fallen head over heels over another person, simply put, that's where their mental focus goes much of the time. They're always looking for activities that they, they might enjoy together. When they go shopping, they look for little gifts that they can surprise them with. They're constantly thinking of nice places where they can take them, where they'll create memories. They spare no expense in, in doing everything possible to impress and show their newfound love that they are the real deal when it comes to this thing called love. 
But what I'm trying to say is this. When your heart is focused on one thing, you see that one thing. Well, that's the way it is with the pure in heart. When your life is about God, you're going to start seeing God everywhere in everyday moments. You will see His love and grace in the gift of your children and in the gift of your grandchildren. You'll see His handiwork in summer sunsets. You'll see His providence every time you sit down and eat a meal. You'll see your job as an opportunity to glorify Him by working hard and with the utmost integrity. You'll see your paycheck as an opportunity to give to God's work. You'll see your marriage through the lens of Christ and His bride, the church. You will see trials and hardships as opportunities to know Him better. You will see poor, the poor people in this world, as objects of His special affection. You see, every human being, you'll you'll see every human being as an individual created in the image of God and who is desperately in need of a Savior. When you have an undivided heart, such that you are focused fully upon God, you'll see Him in everything because everything is about Him. It's like you were blind, but now you can see. It's just as God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a way to live. This is the way God wants us to live. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Not just someday, but every day. The message translation puts it this way. You're blessed when you get your world, when you get your inside world put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. The pure in heart are people who live one life from the inside out and they live it for God. Okay, I got one more question, and then we'll be done. How can we be pure in heart? How can we get our hearts cleansed so that we can see God, so that we can know God? Well, in his ignorance, man has come up with a lot of various ways, various philosophical approaches to solve this particular problem. And it always starts with working on the outside, because we really believe if we can If we look good enough to other people, that we will be perceived as pure in heart. And that's exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. But we're not talking about perceptions here. We're talking about actually living life with a pure heart. Many take this approach by surrounding themselves with other people. They think if they simply hang around with enough Christians that it will rub off of them. On them, and I and I am one that believes it's good to hang around fellow believers in Christ, because uh, you will see the beauty of God's work in their hearts being manifested in their actions, and that can be an encouragement. But I want to let you know that won't make your own heart pure by watching others who are pure in heart. Some go at it by trying to be good. I mean, it's great to be a truly good person, but as the Scriptures have made clear to us, no one is truly good. Every one of us have made attempts at trying various cover-up treatments, but it doesn't work. None of it will make you feel clean inside. All of man's attempts at dealing with heart problems fail for two reasons. Number one, they tend to focus on the outside. And as we've already learned this morning, the problem is on the inside. And the second reason our attempts don't work is since 
Our sin taints everything and every part of us. It's impossible for us to clean our hearts on our own. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. No one. You see, man's attempts at righteousness are like doing heart surgery with dirty surgical instruments. All you do is spread an infection. All of man's attempts fail miserably. They leave our hearts dirtier than they were before. Only a a holy and pure and righteous God can cleanse our impure hearts. The only way to be pure at heart is to do it His way through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus came. On the cross of Calvary, God in the flesh literally opened up His heart so that His blood could pour out and it could cleanse us from our iniquity. Jesus promised coming is what God was talking about through the prophet Ezekiel when in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26, He said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This heart cleansing treatment is what God was referring to in Jeremiah 24-7 when he said this, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. You see, our hearts are made pure only one way. It is when we admit our sin to God and we believe by faith that Jesus died for us. And then we claim the forgiveness and cleansing that is only possible through His shed blood. In Acts chapter 15, verse 9, it says, For He purified their hearts by faith. This is the only way to get a pure heart It's by becoming a Christian. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I quote this often. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Salvation is the greatest gift that we could ever receive and I am thankful that so many of you watching this have received it. But you know, once we make that all-important decision to follow Christ, we still need God's power. We still need His help because we still live in an impure world. And in our humanity, we still have this bent towards sin. So daily, we need to pray as King David did in Psalm 51.10, confessing our sin and saying, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We need God to to give us regular heart checkups. Times when we, when we pray words like in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to read His Word and, and live by its teaching. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? In other words, how can he keep his heart pure? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 20 continues, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
We need to have our hearts regularly washed by the Word of God. You see, time with God in prayer, time with God in His Word, is like putting our lives through a refinery because it cleanses our thoughts and our attitudes and it helps us to stay pure. It helps us to stay single-minded. As someone has put it, Jesus came to reformat our heart drives. And as Christians, we need that reforming and reformatting every day as a way of dealing with all the many viruses that this world throws at us. Can I ask you to take a moment right now to just look deep into your hearts? If you are watching me today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, all you need to do to receive salvation is to follow those words that I read to you in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Believe and confess. Say a prayer and tell Jesus that you believe in Him, that He is the Son of God, that He came to this earth to die on that cross for your sin. That's the belief part. And the confession part is just simply saying those words in your own way. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Invite Him to be the Lord. Give Him lordship over your life. When you do, the Scripture says that He is faithful to save you. And you can start down a completely new path, a new way of life where Jesus becomes your main focus. And that's when your heart, that's when the inner you will begin to thrive. And if you're already a believer in Christ, but yet you struggle with keeping Jesus the main thing in your life, then you need to make that a matter of prayer. Ask and allow the Holy Spirit of the living God to do a transforming work within your heart. You see, the Christian walk is a lifelong journey. It's a continual movement of growth and fresh revelation of things found in God's Word that you start to apply to your daily life. So commit to be in the Word daily and allow the Holy Spirit to use the Scriptures to challenge you and to draw you closer into being more Christ-like. I've said so many times before, if you rely on listening to a sermon once a week, being the only bread that you receive in your Christian walk, you've got a problem. You've got to spend time with God on your own, away from this place, where you can develop a personal relationship with Him that is always growing. This is when your heart condition starts to become healthy. This is when Jesus becomes everything to you. And it affects everything that you do in your daily life. I'd like to ask you all to bow your heads with me this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you especially for this sermon on the mount, which teaches us so much. And it really goes deep and it really points out the flaws in our human character, the flaws in our humanity. To become like Christ is not an easy thing, and we need everything to do that, Father. We need, first of all, salvation. And even more importantly, we need your Holy Spirit to continue to, to refine us, to continue to sanctify us, to be more like Christ, as that is our desire. Scriptures say that blessed are the pure in heart, and Father, we want to be blessed, and we want to see you. We want to be able to see you clearly. We want to be able to live our lives looking and seeing you in every activity that goes on. Not just when we're in this church, not just when we're listening to a sermon, but when we're out there in the world doing our, our, our professions, when we're out socializing, when we're doing the many things that we do. Father, we want to be Christ-like. 
And so I pray if there be anyone here today who has never asked you to be Lord and Savior, anyone who's listening today, that, Father, they would have the courage to pray those words, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would believe that you are the solution and the answer to their, their, their problem, that they would receive your forgiveness, receive your salvation, and allow you to have lordship over their life. And Father, as a church, we would love to come alongside of them and, and minister to them and continue to see them grow. But I also pray, Father, for those who already know you, but who struggle with a heart condition. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to come and to do a work in our hearts and in our lives that you would reveal to us new things, that you would, you would show us new and fresh revelation from your word as we read it, that we can apply to our daily lives as we draw closer to you and as we become more Christ-like. So Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that not only do you give us the word, but you show us how to achieve the things that you have laid out for us. And that is by drawing close to you. That is by making sure that our hearts are pure. That is why being, that is us becoming single focused people, focused upon you. And when we do, as I said, we see you in literally everything. So Father, I ask you to be with everyone who is watching this message today. Those who are part of this church, those who are tuning in from, from many different places. I ask your blessings upon them. And I pray that their desire today, their heartfelt desire would be to become pure in heart. And they would take the steps that they need to completely turn their lives over to you. Quit holding on to all the fringe things that this world offers that only keep us stuck in one place. But that they would release those things that preventing them from drawing closer to you. And Father, that you would do an incredible work in their life and that they would uh, see the, the fullness of Christ in everything that they do. Everything that they touch would prosper because you are a part of it. We thank you for this time together. I ask your blessings upon everyone watching this today. Be with us until we gather together again, even if it's in this format, until we can come back together again as a church family. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. This is an unusual time for us. We can't gather together. It was so nice to be able to gather together, even if it was in our cars last week. But I believe that's going to be over soon. And I truly believe we're all going to be more appreciative of coming together and worshiping the Lord together in this place. But until then, I want you to be strong. I want you to be faithful. I want you to look at the circumstances that we're in right now and to understand that, as I've said every time, God is in control. He's way ahead of this. He knew this was coming, even though we didn't. And he has you in mind, and he is there for you, and his spirit is there to strengthen you during times of difficulty and disappointment. Will you allow him to do that? Take this time where we're being isolated still, and take moments where you just draw close to God. Get away in your prayer closet. Get away from others in your family and spend some alone time with God. Or spend some time together with your family in the Bible, in the Word. Teach your children. Let your family know that even though we may not be doing church as usual, you're going to do church as usual in your home. Let them know that God is the most important thing in your life. Let them know that to have a pure heart is the most important thing because that is what will allow us to see God. Thank you for joining us today. We love you. and We're praying for you. God bless you all.